How's it going, ladies and gentlemen? This is yet another episode of Chatisfaction. We're still in the past, uh, and I can promise you that we're not recording this directly after we're recording our Wonder Woman episode. I would never do anything like that, and I would never ask my guests to do anything like that either. Uh, well, but I might on my own, so. Oh, you son of a bitch. Um, all right, so this is going to be another special episode because wedding stuff is happening, and I'm going to say I'm not in Colorado yet, but I will be soon. Um, Are you so going this weekend? We're, I'm, we're flying out Wednesday. Whoa, next Wednesday. Okay, this, I got this you. Will go, this will go up Monday, so soon All right. I'll be flying out. Um, I'll miss you. Oh, man, I'll miss you too. Even though we live in separate states. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have, a, we have an online relationship. That's sexy, though. It is. Uh, I'm once again joined by my good friend Richard Dove. Say hi to Hello. Um. And on this episode, we're going to discuss the show, the HBO show, The Leftovers. Uh, and it just ended. The last episode was last Sunday as of this recording. And it went for three seasons. The first two seasons were 10 episodes, and the last one was eight episodes. And uh, we're going to talk about it because we both liked it a lot. So I loved I, it. Yeah, I would say I loved it. Too. I crossed that line to love. Yeah. In um, season two. <laughs> I loved it from the beginning. Like I really love season one, but we'll get into that in a moment. Yeah. Uh, so I so this show originally aired in uh I believe 2014 was when yeah. the first season started. And so, uh, but right real quick, once again, what? as we did with Wonder Woman, ah. we're gonna go we're gonna do spoiler free impressions. Oh jeez. So we can hopefully sell you guys in the show if you're not already. Oh jeez. And pretty quickly, we're going to transition transition into spoilers. So, spoiler-free impression of the show. Just kind of give the people a synopsis and your general just kind of, like, feelings on the show. Okay. Baseline. So, the premise for this... So, this show is based off a book that was written by Tom Parada. And the I haven't read the book, but the premise of, of the show is... This incident happens where 2% of the world's population vanishes in an instant. Uh, just on October 14th, it just kind of randomly happens. Um, it doesn't seem to be a connection between the people who disappeared. Um, and the show is essentially, it starts three years after that instance happens. Uh, and it's about the people who are like, existing in the world after this event. And I feel like a lot of shows would normally um, just make it about the mystery of the thing. Like, where did everyone go? And I felt like that was the thing that drew you into the show. Um, But that's not what it's about. It's about, like, broken people uh, just trying to love each other and and get through the day. Um, It's... The, the the first season of the show takes place in a fictional town called Mapleton, New York, small kind of New Englandy town, uh, and it's it has a different tone from the second and third seasons, and in ways that I'm not really going to go into too much. Um, there are people I've talked to who tried to watch it and watched a few episodes and stopped because they didn't like it. Um, 
And all I can say is to just keep watching it. And I know it's a lot to ask these days when we have so many TV shows that are so friggin' good, but this is a very, very good one that I enjoyed the first season. I know some people didn't, but I did. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if there are times you're like, you know, I don't really know this is where this is going, find something to like in the show and keep going because you'll be happy that you did. But... Um, uh, Keith, I don't know if you want to talk about it. I don't. It's hard for me to not spoil things with this freaking show. I don't know yeah. how to talk about it. Well, I think, I think you nailed it when you said that it's not about. Most shows would double down on the mystery of like where did all these people go, and it's really what the show is about at its core is it's about the exploration of the psychology of what happens when something unexplainable happens to all these people and like all these people disappear and no one knows why or what happened, like scientists can't explain it. And then religion can't explain it either because as you'll find in the, in this throughout the series, it's not just, it's not a specific group of people that disappear. There's like innocent and guilty people and like disgusting people. And it's just a, it's, it just, it's totally a random set of people that get taken by this thing. So it does a good job of setting up a mystery that can't be explained by science or religion. And what the show is at its core is an exploration of the, of what happens, how we deal with grief and pain and loss and how a lot of us can internalize it and externalize it. And just the various ways that it wreaks havoc on people. And and there's some characters in the show that, that haven't lost someone in the incident or the departure as they call it. And uh, there's some people that have lost more than one person. And that can be a tough thing to deal with when it's only 2% of the population, uh, which doesn't seem like a lot, but when it's 7 billion people, that's a hundred million people just have vanished off the face face of the planet. Um, So when it's multiple people that, you know, the odds are kind of low on that one and it's weird. And uh, I I think the reason why the first season is so unappealing to a lot of people is it is a tragedy and drama through and through. Um, there's a lot of drudgery to get through. Um, I I think the characters are well done and it's likable, it's well acted, and the storytelling is super competent. Uh, but for some people, that's not enough. Like I I know I could totally understand why someone would watch that show and be like, I'm out. This is not doing anything for me. All these characters are miserable. It doesn't sound like anything is going to happen to them. Um, but then two and three, the change is that they add, they find a balance between the tragedy and the comedy. Um, yeah. Yeah. They don't, the comedy doesn't feel like shoehorned in. It seems very appropriate for that world, but it is a tonal shift and it makes the show a more complete and rounded package. Um, yeah. Like a, there's a lot of weird shit that happens in season one. Yeah. That like is like could be laughed at but they don't and i feel like it's felt okay to laugh at it later in the show um you were a little more comfortable with the weirdness of everything like even some of the characters just start to accept that this (laughs) they don't know why these things are happening um in season one everyone's running around trying to figure out why and it's not about the why and that's what's great about the show is if you can watch it just to be on this journey with these people um, and see where it's, you know, 
the, these stories are going to take you and take them. Um, and, and don't be too concerned with the mysteries of it. Something weird happens, just go, wow, that was weird. Like, don't read into things. It'll, yeah. you know, this is, you know, it, it's it's good to talk to people you know who have watched this show. Like, that's why I'm looking forward to this, because Keith and I haven't really talked about it. Um, I watched it when it aired, uh, and Keith, you started, like, relatively recently, right? Probably like a month ago. Yeah, so it's way more fresh in your mind. Um, but we've never... I talked to Keith, you know, it's it, we've been busy lately, but, you know, at times it was every single day for at least two years. Yeah. <laughs> so we never talked about this before, um, the show. And it's, it's so much fun to uh, read what people have written about it. Um, and, and they might interpret something one way and you might interpret a different way and neither way feels like the wrong thing. So yeah. it's, it, it's, it's, I've been yelling for years for people to watch this. And I feel like no one started listening <laughs> until recently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, again, it's a tough sell when you tell, when you explain the show to someone, it doesn't sound appealing. Uh, yeah. You know, but it's only three seasons, and the first season, although is a little dark and kind of sad, it's still good. It still has fantastic performances. It still is a cool story, um, and you know, it's it's entertaining to watch. It's I I still think it's a very good season, um, but I don't know what people were expecting going into it. Maybe that's why they felt the way they did. So, yeah. you know, if, if you can just kind of find something to love about it and keep going. I think you'll be really happy you did. Um, so yeah. So anyway, it's, it just wrapped up, uh, it's third season, um, like a week ago, June, 2017. So it's all on HBO. Um, able to stream whenever you want. You can binge the crap out of it. I feel like this show would be great in a bingeable format. I've only ever seen it week to week. Um, did you enjoy binging it? Oh yeah, I totally did. I, I I think most shows I like watching at my own pace, and with the leftovers, um, I didn't find that like the well, I guess because I already knew that like season two was a tonal shift. Um, I I had something to look forward to, uh, so I didn't. I went into to be fair, I went into season one knowing that season two would be a little more upbeat. Um, so I, I don't know how much of an upper hand I had as far as getting into it. I actually really like season one. Um, and we can cut into, let's just cut into spoilers right now. Cause all right. So you know, if think... you, if you haven't watched the show and you're really thinking about doing it, please stop the podcast because a lot of these things are going to really ruin it for you. So yeah, I highly recommend you watch it. I know Keith does too. Um, so if you're in the mood for something different, it's like he said, it's 28 episodes. You know, I know that's a lot these days to, to commit to, but give it a shot. Um, I think you'll like it. I do as well. All right. So spoilers happening in three, two, one. Bye. Wonder Woman dies. Oh no, not in the leftovers. No, Um, Kevin, Kevin dies. 
he he does die multiple times and multiple it's times <laughs> um i think we can kind of tackle this in whatever way you want to rich um just because i'm already on season one i'll just yes. start talking about it real quick yeah let's, let's talk about it let's talk about season one um i immediately was into it i i am into more down and dour stories i think more than most people are because I, I think mining mining the drama out of stuff um feels a little more true than when you're trying to distract each other with some comedy um uh-huh. that being said i think the balance of drama and comedy really is the the best form of storytelling um because in real life nothing is one way or the other there it always is like nothing is just straight up just awful all the time unless you're living in like nazi germany mm-hmm. um and nothing is just like fun and and happy all the time there there is that true balance i think in the contemporary america american civilization um western civilization i i guess um where it just feels more honest and true and so the the first season i still think is great i i still really enjoy it i I would not say it's my favorite season of the three but there's still some good and interesting interesting stuff happening in there um it doesn't go like full weird there's some weird shit with like kevin uh basically like sleepwalking being another person it feels like um and we never really get to see that guy and i love that i love that characters talk about him doing stuff and even he's like what the fuck i wouldn't i would never do that or you know what i mean <laughs> um if I, I always wanted to see sleepy kevin i wanted to meet that guy but we never did we never did yeah. you know not to diverge for too long and i won't but i watched the finale to season two today mm-hmm. and there's that shot of him holding the cinder block looking at evie and then he just <laughs> jumps in the fucking water yeah. and i was like Holy shit, they never explained what was happening to him. Never. <laughs> yeah. Sleep and like it's a, I guess it's okay. Like I don't, you know, I think early in season 1 I'm like maybe it's like a fight club thing where he's a different person at night, you know? Yeah. When he go, when he goes to sleep, but yeah. I guess it doesn't really matter because the show was great without answering that question, but that's fucked up, man. We never found out. Yeah, maybe he really does like shooting dogs. No. So I think the big mystery, like one of the big mysteries of season one was he was constantly trying to figure out if that dude, uh, what is his name? Dave, Doug, what's the, what's the, the ball guy? Yeah. Who always had dip. Yeah. It was Doug. Yeah, sure. Let's call him Doug. I have the fucking IMDb up. I'll just look at it. Um, the, one of the like first big mysteries was like, is that guy real or is yeah. Kevin seeing him? And yeah. I love the way that they, they never straight up say, that that is happening but you could see it all over kevin's face is like he is questioning if this guy's real or not yeah and so in weird moments when uh someone walks by and is clearly can see it, dean is his name dean dean yeah okay um when characters walk by and acknowledge that that guy exists you could see like the look of relief on kevin's face because kevin just kind of feels like he's going insane through the whole thing yeah so um, i i need to be upfront with everyone i haven't seen season one since it aired yeah. And I refreshed myself uh, with a couple episodes from season two. I just didn't have time to do a whole rewatch before talking about this. So Keith's going to have to kind of carry me through the season one stuff because I'm a little fuzzy on it. Yeah. But um, I do remember that watching season one thinking like Kevin is always like on the verge of a complete fucking psych- 
psych, like just total breakdown of yeah. any semblance of sanity. Yeah. Um, and you're like kind of waiting for that break to happen, but I think like he was just he he was probably just crazy the whole time. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely something a little more nuanced going on with Kevin because everyone else that's kind of affected by the departure because he didn't lose anyone. And I like the storytelling in the first episode where they're introducing like all these characters and the mystery of like what these people mean to each other. And Mm -hmm. it ends up being like all the main characters I show are related in some way or another or they're connected in some way or another. Um, And just Mm -hmm. this the small reveal at the end that uh the woman in the beginning is Kevin's wife and, but they play it in the beginning of the episode. Like she departed, but like she yeah. departed. Yeah. But he sees um, the picture and he smashes her face and you know, you know, she's not around. So you figure she left. Yeah. Um, well departed. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I was immediately just kind of into it because that first episode, even though, like I said, it's depressing and it doesn't, it doesn't really end on an upswing. I think the, the end of season one ends on an upswing. Uh, but um, that first episode, I was like, the storytelling in here is so competent and so, and they're so good at it. Um, and clearly very uh, confident. Uh, I was like, I'm, I'm in it. Like, I don't care where this fucking goes. Like, this is just, this is just a well done show being made by people who are clearly um at the top of their game uh so that's what kind of brought me into it uh what what was the thing that spoke to you that made you be like i'm all in on this justin thoreau's entire sexy body oh and his big ass dong yeah that too um (laughs) i mean i don't i i'm trying to remember when it aired because normally with new shows hbo tries to follow something that like a, a season of Game of Thrones is ending, so they'll bring on a new show because you're used to watching TV on Sundays. It might have been after season two of Game of Thrones. Yeah, I'm pr- actually pretty sure that's what it was. Um, so you know, I just gave it a shot. It looked cool. I'm Damon Lindelof, one of the showrunner who you know he was involved in Lost, and I love Lost. And I know you did, and you loved it enough to go to Hawaii. Um, oh yeah, I was like, oh yeah, I'll check it out, and. You know, that was one of the great things that I, I realized about this show early on is that I was like, I don't think it's about this mystery. Uh, and unfortunately, I think HBO kind of had to market it that way just to kind of get yeah. you to watch it. Um, but that's not what the show's about. And, uh, you know, I, once I kind of stopped looking for the answers and just started to enjoy the storytelling, I really was like, all right, this is this is cool. This is great. Um, I, I know, yeah, I'd say right away the thing that really grabbed me was the performances of the cast. I thought were just absolutely fantastic on almost every level. There were a few people I didn't care about, but for the most part, like, I, all right, so here's how I describe it I don't like reading books of short stories because I hate change. And I, don't like it when shows bounce around from character to character because you're going to eventually, hey, yeah, it's cool you get someone else's perspective, but you're going to eventually end up with a character you don't just give a shit about. Yeah. But these people are so good. Like, I didn't care. I, I I didn't care that you would go later on the show, you would go entire episode. 
we did an entire episode with Kevin's dad fucking high out of his mind in, in, in Australia. And like, yeah. I didn't mind. And yeah. it's, I don't think a lot of shows could pull that off without a fantastic cast. And this show has one. Um, so I think uh, it'd be a good time to mention Justin Thoreau, who plays Kevin, is like, he got to start as a writer. He mm-hmm. wrote, I believe, Zoolander and probably Tropic Thunder with Ben Stiller. Yeah, um, he did write both of those. He's a very funny person, and yet he has one of the best dramatic performances like I've ever seen. He's so fucking good on this show. Yeah. And I, I, I'm like, well, that's one of the things that bothered me about watching a show that no one else watched that's really, really good, like Hannibal. Like, mm-hmm. no one watched Hannibal except for me and you. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna, <laughs> and, just speaking of that, we're going to have to do a fucking Hannibal episode. Oh, absolutely. We'll do a Hannibal episode. But a post-mortem, if you will. Um, but, uh, you know, he's so good. And I'm like, no one's watching this show. It's not going to get any awards attention. No one's, like, how does no one see this right now? How does no one see this guy's performance? Um, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, he he kills it. In I mean, I think honestly, I don't think like you said, I don't think there's a weak link in this cast. I think there's characters you're less invested in than others, obviously. But I don't think anyone like pulls me out of it at all. As opposed to Lost, there were definitely characters I did not give a fuck about. And any time they spent oh, it's a Claire episode. What? Like when it was a Claire episode? Yeah, or like. Anytime, because the nature of Lost was every episode was a character-specific flashback one, too. So anytime it was, like, the Michelle Rodriguez character or Michael or just, like, there were characters I did not, I, I like, was not invested in. And so when you get those episodes that are like, all right, we're going to spend a lot of time with this character, it just kind of, like, pulls me out of it. And they do that in the show. There's character-specific episodes, but they're almost always entirely engaging um so i I especially love the trio of matt specific episodes um yes yeah so in sorry i had my microphone turned up that's fine um uh, matt is played by christopher eccleson which you Doctor doctor who which i've never seen but you love the who um spoiler you get to see doctor who's dick I forgot about his weenie. Yeah. Oh, how? How would I do that? But he uh, he gets, as, as Keith said, he gets a trio of fantastic episodes that are character-driven that I would say because he's a little more on the outside of most plot lines, um, it's more important that they stick the landing. So when you see Matt, you really get why he is the way he is. So. Yeah. Remind, his season one episode was very much about him trying to prove to people that it wasn't the rapture. Am I remembering that right? Well, I think he's just trying to prove that... Um, I she, think a lot of people think that God took these people in, into paradise, and he's trying to prove that that's not the case, that that's not what happened, because there's people that have been taken, like like people that, that were in jail and stuff, that had done uh-huh. heinous, heinous shit. Um and even people that did like lesser things. So as 
you know, when, when you, when someone dies in real life, you try to be, when you go to someone's funeral, almost no one stands up and says the negative parts of a person. They just represent them as positively as possible. And so what Matt is trying to do in his character specific episode is he's putting out flyers of all the departed about like just facts about these people. And they're not, uh, they're not always uh, very flattering. Like they're very honest and true. And he gets, there's a lot of flack for that. There's a lot of, definitely a lot of blowback. People are not, not happy about it. Um, and I believe I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah. So, and I would say the thing that even at times when maybe I wasn't super interested in, in, in Matt's story, like his Christopher Eccleston's performance really just carried me through. I didn't care uh, about, I was like, fuck it. This is awesome. Let's go. Season two. Um, I believe his story was about his, his wife, correct? Yeah, essentially. He was, uh, they needed, what did they go out of town for? They went out of town for something. Cause season two, they moved locations. Actually, let's save that before we get into season two. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Anyway, there's Matt. <laughs> yeah. So Matt, Matt is the priest. He's very much re- represents the religious interpretation of yeah. everything that's going on. Yeah, you have the the there's there are people who try to view the departure from the scientific aspect, and people who try to view it from a religious aspect. Mm-hmm. And I like that this show can let the viewer side with whatever side they want to. Um, yeah. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both, or it could be none. It could be whatever you want it to be. Um, and it doesn't do it in a way where it feels cheap, you know. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to like not show an ending for suspense, but it's another thing to just leave something open to interpretation. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, Lori, who's in the Guilty Remnant, which is mm-hmm. the cult that was formed, I believe, but was, was Patty the one who started it? Yeah. Yeah. So Patty, Patty Levin played amazingly by Ann Dowd. Holy shit, that performance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, starts this cult of people who, I guess their whole point, if, if I'm looking at this correct, is to stop people, like for preventing people from getting on with their lives, right? So yeah, exactly. if I had my, let's say I had a kid who departed on that day, on October 14th and disappeared, you know, we grieve our loved ones and we find ways to move on while while still keeping them with us forever. But like, there's this, if you've lost someone, and I have, and Keith has, you go through these weird steps to, to just move on with your life. And it's really hard to do sometimes. Um, yeah. And the entire point of this cult is to, to not let people do that. And it's so fucked up. Yeah. Um, you could say that they are the main antagonists of season Absolutely, nine. absolutely. But they don't have like a doomsday plan. It's not that type of cult. Like they just want to get under people's skin in every way possible. Uh, I think my interpretation of them is that they are of the belief that it happened once and it's going to happen again. So they're trying to get people to kind of accept what their version of this new reality is. Cause it's very much like when this happens, um, because it can't be explained and no one knows what's going on. 
there is very much a thread that no one's talking about that, you know, if it happened once, it can happen again. And it yeah. reminds me of when America dropped the atomic bomb uh, in World War II and being introduced to this new reality where this is a thing that can happen. And, and then multiple uh, countries started getting this power, too. Um, this changes the landscape, landscape of reality. This is a doomsday thing that if we drop it on another country, likely they will retaliate with dropping it on us. And that'll be it for those countries. Um, this reminds me of that kind of psychology of uh-huh. like, here's a new existence now and everything's gonna be different from here on out. And the guilty remnant to me always kind of signified that like they, I think they devoutly believe that this will happen again. So there's, they're trying to like convert everyone to their uh, very specific way of thinking and being in this huh. new world. I don't view them that way, but again, I'm fuzzy on season one, so I could be missing. Them. But again, the show leaves everything open to interpretation. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I was watching uh, when I was watching season two today. You know, when I realized about they have the most comfortable looking uniforms, like. They essentially wear breezy cotton every day. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, oh, do you want to wear like just a white t shirt or do you want like a light sweater? Yeah, they dress, no. they all dress up in like pure white, just very plain yeah. clothing. Like all, everyone's wearing like slip ons, like really casual cult outfits. And yeah. I think that's pretty cool. So, yeah. Um, so back to other characters. Uh, speaking of the Guilty Remnant, they recruit Meg, who's played by Liv Tyler, which if I had one complaint about this show, it's fucking Meg. I don't really? give a sh- I don't care. I don't care. I didn't until season two, and then she became awesome. Yeah, yeah, but still, I don't think... I don't buy, I, When I look at Liv Tyler and I hear her talk, I don't buy any of those tough words coming out of her mouth. I don't care really? if she's raping she's dudes or whatever it is she's doing, yeah. like... It's not, I don't, I didn't, I didn't love it. She does, I mean, and to be fair, she does sound a little too innocent. Just, just the natural sound of her voice. Is, yeah, she can't help that. It is what it is. Yeah, but I still, I th- I still think she did really good. And I, I like, especially like her final kind of scene where she's talking about Siegfried and Royd and the tigers. And she's just like, those fuckers will bite your face off eventually. I love that line. Mm. Yeah. But, you know. I didn't, yeah, I didn't love Meg. I didn't like the season one storyline of uh, Tom being with uh, fucking Holy, what's his face? Holy Wayne. Holy Wayne. I felt like that plotline didn't pay off at all. Yeah, I think it was more of a. I don't even know. Holy Wayne was just a dude who claimed he could hug people's pains, people's pain away. And yeah, which it was clearly just a, like a scheme to make a whole bunch of money, and he made a fuckload of money. Yeah, yeah, but he was like, but that was his own kind of little culty thing too. Yeah, it was, but I feel like I, I don't know, man. It was only it's. He just wanted to spread his seed. I didn't really care. He had a thing for for Asian girls. Yeah, he just wanted to fucking he he impregnated a whole bunch of women and had these dudes basically escort them across the country as he stayed on the move to do his little wheeling and dealing and stuff hugging uh, scheme yeah his, his hugging scheme which seemed to work to be fair yeah it seemed to work but i think that just proves that we could all use a good old hug every now and then lonely uh the lonely island which is the band that was formed by 
Andy Samberg and a couple of his friends from SNL, um, and they I do rap songs. They have a song about hugging, and it always makes me think of Holy Wayne. <laughs> it's a, because they present it like they're having sex with a lot of girls, but they just reword it so they're just hugging everyone, and it's really funny. So check it out. Yeah, that was the storyline that hit the most with the, I guess other than uh, Matt, that hit with the religious imagery of like, oh, you just have to take everything that I say on faith and I'm giving you this phone and I'll call you whenever. And then yeah. he's like, when, when certain things are happening and you can't get in touch with Wayne, he, he thinks he's speaking to him through other means and stuff. And it's very much a, it's on the nose what it was about. And it was definitely the least interesting plot line of that season, but it ended up being a very important one because what it leads to is pretty awesome. Yeah. Wait, what does it lead to? <laughs> it leads to uh, the, the little baby. Yeah, but I mean, they could have just found a baby somewhere. Like, it didn't have to be all that for a baby. But it, it plays into, like, the interconnectedness of it all. Yeah, uh, sure. It only would have happened if his son went on that journey. And it so, his son that did it. Speaking of the baby, that'll segue into Nora. Yeah, Nora. Nora's probably my favorite character on the show, to be honest. Yeah, as much as I love Kevin. And Justin Thoreau's performance, I think yeah. Nora and Carrie Coon's performance edges them out just a little bit. Cause yeah. Oh boy. And like Nora, they don't they didn't market the show with her at all. No, then that's a fucking failure on their part. Until I think it was until season three. I don't even no, no, season two, she was in the marketing with like the, the Kevin was like drowning in the water and like he was reaching up to her hand. Yeah. To grab him. But like, you know. So to be clear, the show is essentially about their relationship at the heart of it all it really is centralized yeah. on their relationship yeah. and you would never know it from the beginning of the show but by the time you get to the end and you look back on it this is a love story about two broken people yeah who are codependent and in this toxic where she even says we're in a codependent toxic relationship yeah jokingly but also completely serious because it's true yeah. trying to figure out how to coexist with each other. And that's like, you can look at the entire show that way if you want to. A lot of stuff happens in the meantime, but that's kind of where it starts and that's where it ends. Um, I think, to be honest, I think there's this this point in their relationship where it it could be fine. Um, And it is, in season one, it's very much they just meet and they're getting to know each other Mm-hmm. And and it's it's the blooming of this relationship, which in the beginning both of them straight up say to each other like, "I'm a fucking mess," you know, yep. like, "I'm I'm not okay." And they're just like, "Yeah, okay, whatever." Um, and they go for it. And and sometimes in life you do just have to do that. You have to go for it. You have to see if things work. Uh-huh. Um, and they go for it. And Nora is like the victim of the guilty remnants like master plan, which was to steal everyone's uh, photos of everyone they lost in the departure. And then they make like these living dolls of everyone that are specifically made by a company that uh, uses photo reference to make life. It's just so creepy looking. Oh, it is. It's so creepy. The people that you lost to like have in your home, almost as, as though it was like a taxidermied version of your, your loved ones. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so Nora actually lost her husband and two and her two kids, which the likeliness of that happening, three people out of a hundred, a hundred million people. Um, and they're all related to you directly. 
that's fucking astronomical how likely that is um yeah so she is dealing with a whole bunch of pain and is all messed up in her own right and is kind of dealing with it by dating Kevin in their relationship, but then at the end of season one, she gets hit hard with those fucking living dolls or whatever the hell they are. Um, and decides to like, she's basically going to go away and is like writing a note to Kevin and stuff and walks up to his doorstep and is going to give it to them. But then Tommy had uh, delivered Holy Wayne's baby from his little Asian girlfriend and left it at his dad's doorstep. Cause I guess he thinks his dad would be good at taking care of the kid. Um, then Nora finds it and after like the whole adventure of season one uh kevin like reconciles with his family that he's his his daughter they lives with and uh they very much come home to like we're gonna start over and build a good home and then nora's there with the baby and she's just like look what i found and decides to say <laughs> what did kevin. she say <laughs> she goes look what i found that's yeah carrie coon i didn't know she guessed on this podcast yeah, it was a very special surprise I set up for you. Oh, um, paid off. Um, <laughs> and I especially, but I love the, the way season two, their arc starts is they start telling each other all the fucked up shit that they do. Yeah, yeah, um, which they they don't in season one. Like, they'll say, like, I'm broken, you're broken, yeah. we get it, we get it. But, yeah. which whole, I don't want to get into season two yet, but. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so Carrie Coon's uh, performance as Nora was fantastic and as the show goes on it gets better and it gets better yeah. um, and you know it's almost if you look at Nora and Kevin I think up until she met Kevin she would just get sympathy from everyone yeah, because she lost her kids and her husband so everyone would see her and be like super super nice to her and like ask her how she's doing and I feel like before all this happened, the, the, the footage we saw of her, you know, because they do flashbacks, you know, it wasn't, she had a husband and kids, but she didn't seem that happy. Like, she just seemed like kind of a normal family where the kids were annoying the shit out of her. And, you know, then they all disappeared and she, you know, I, I don't know how she wanted to play that, but I got the vibe that from uh, an acting standpoint, it was, I'm getting all the sympathy from everyone. And then Kevin's the first person who maybe doesn't look at her that way. Not that he doesn't yeah. feel bad, but that's not what he sees when he looks at her. He sees something else. Um, yeah. And they sort of start this relationship out of convenience. Uh, and it grows and grows, you know, not always in good ways. Um, so, but... Uh, yeah, I, I've never seen Carrie Coon in anything before the show started, and she's great, and I hope she does a lot more. So Actually, you have, what? and you just didn't know it. She is in Gone Girl. Who is she in Gone Girl? She's fucking Ben Affleck. Oh, no, she's the cop. No, no, no. I saw, uh, I saw Leftovers before I saw Gone Girl, Keith Silverman. I saw oh. Leftovers when it came she out. She was Ben Affleck's sister. I know, but I saw The Leftovers first. Okay. Just saying, okay, before okay. the show. Okay. Hipster Rich it. saw it before it was cool. <laughs> yeah, but she's relatively new. Like I think the Leftovers is her first like big score as far as acting goes. Mm. Um, yeah. And she is a delight. And 
what I like the most about her character is she is the skeptic in the show. Like she definitely questions things in a relatable real way that I feel like were I smart enough, I would as well, but it's just a character that I, I naturally gravitate to and relate to. Um, also, like her job is like essentially interviewing people about the people they lost, and uh, it's supposed to be objective, right? Yeah. And like, it's it's probably one of the worst people to do that job on the show. <laughs> yeah. But like, you don't realize it at first how unhealthy it is for her to be doing that every day. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's just her her way of keeping herself in her own little personal hell. Yeah, and I think it worked until she sat down with uh, Regina King in season two, and it did not go her way. Yeah, I thought it worked when she sat down with Big Kev Dog, and by Big Kev Dog, I mean his penis. Oof! Sat down on it. Yeah, if that's you got scary. Kevin, and then Big it, Kev Dog is is Kevin's penis. Big Kev Dog. Um, yeah, you know Justin Thoreau. I didn't. I didn't really notice it at first. His he apparently has a giant schlong. How do you not notice it? The first scene of the entire I'm, series I, is him I look at his. I'm looking at his eyes. I look at his eyes. I Why? They are beautiful eyes. I don't know. You don't. When you meet a woman, you don't stare at the breasts. I'm being nice. What the fuck are you talking about? Anyway, <laughs> his, his it doesn't even matter if you're staring at it. His dong is flopping around so much it's goddamn <laughs> distracting. It's like you a pendulum. You see it slapping back and forth on his legs, man. It's just. Jennifer Aniston gets it all day now. He is blessed. They're they're broken up now, I think. No. Yeah, I think they are. Well, it's okay. He's the best though. And no, I no, love no, they make no, jokes they're not. About no, they're the not. Show. Did you see? Uh, he he actually went on. He went on a uh, uh, Jimmy Kimmel a couple weeks ago promoting the show. Mm-hmm. Did you see what they did? Mm-mm. And um, while he was uh. Like Jimmy Kimmel wanted to play a prank on Justin Thoreau, so he told Jennifer Aniston to tell him that there was a recall on his, his Mercedes and that he had to bring his car in. And they airbrushed Justin Thoreau all over his own Mercedes Benz, <laughs> <laughs> and then gave it to him on the show. And it's like a giant Emmy nomination ad, and it's just like him looking super sexy all over his own fucking car. Fantastic! <laughs> Look it up. Cool. Good stuff. So yeah, they're still together. So don't worry about it. Okay, I'm wrong about that then. But uh, as I am yeah. about most things. Oh, and then uh, w- one character we haven't mentioned is Kevin Senior. That's right. Yeah. Kevin's dad, played so by in season one. Kevin Senior is played by Stick himself. Yes, uh, Scott Glenn. Scott Glenn. Um, I love Scott Glenn. He's great in everything that he's in. Dude, he's especially good in the show. He yeah. Kevin Sr. is in a mental institution in the beginning of the show, and he used to be the chief of police, which Kevin is currently uh-huh. um, in their hometown of Mapleton, New York. Uh, so Kevin Sr. is seeing and talking to people that aren't there, supposedly. Um, and that's why he's in the mental institution. Otherwise, he seems like a totally normal dude. Um, and so I think, you know, Kevin's season one arc I believe, and really his arc throughout the whole thing. Well, I guess season one and two is that that is not happening to me. I'm totally fine. I'm not a. I'm not having a psychotic break like my dad is. Yeah, he totally, uh, totally fucking is. Um, and he just doesn't know it. Um, but there does seem to be some weird legitimacy to Kevin Senior's madness. Um, whether he is 
really seeing people there or he mm-hmm. is crazy um that is kind of left up and up in the air they yeah resolve that really um but he does he he kills it too he knocks it out of the park i, I love it every time actually in season three specifically um anytime kevin senior is narrating events or recalling events um that should just be what scott glenn does for stuff because I love just listening to that dude recount things and tell stories, and he's just so good at it. Yeah, no, to- totally, totally true. Yeah, um, he's uh, he and he's in shape for an old dude. You see him in season three when he was like running yeah, around yeah. with his shirt off. Yeah, the dude yeah. was like eighty and he's fucking shredded. Yeah. Um, and he is in crazy shape because he does. I mean, he does a good amount of work on Daredevil too, and oh yeah, like he's not doing all his stunts and shit. He's moving around a little unbelievably for an old man, but he's right in, right in it with Charlie Cox and everything. So yeah. Um, so one thing I want to point out about season one, because I feel like we're getting to the end uh, of that, is uh, Mimi Leader, who is traditionally a producer, was brought on to direct episode five which is called Gladys. And Gladys was the member of uh, the Guilty Remnant who was killed, I believe, by the Guilty Remnant. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, she gets stoned by them. She gets stoned to death. Apparently willingly, too. Yeah, which was, oh my God, that was so heartbreaking. I felt like that woman played that role without saying a word. Sad. Um, I gotta say, that's the one point of season one where I can't can't give it to her because that is the same actress that that plays Kathy Geis and she's playing a very Kathy Geis like character. So from 30 rock, I'm talking about. Oh yeah. And so the whole time I saw her, I was like, this is Kathy Geis. <laughs> she just is being quiet and weird. Exactly like Kathy Geis. And I was, it was distracting almost as distracting as Justin Theros penis, but that's so funny. Dude. I never noticed that. That's amazing. Yeah. And then she got stoned real bad. But anyway, so so they brought Mimi Leader on to direct, and she was um, kept on as an executive producer. And she ended up directing a bunch of the episodes. I know she did yeah. the season two opener. I don't know if she did the first two episodes of season two. Um, but she is credited with sort of giving the show its its direction and its focus that it didn't really have. Um, I guess they had filmed six or seven episodes of the first season, maybe even eight. Uh, and they shut down production for a few weeks because they just didn't, they were kind of in over their heads. Um, and she sort of righted the ship in a lot of ways. And they kept Mm -hmm. her on as an executive producer or co-executive producer. Um, so she's, you know, I know we mentioned uh, Damon Lindelof and Tom Parada, who wrote the book it's based on. Tom Parada was actually uh, involved in the writing process for the entire show because season one is based off his book, but two and three is completely original content. Um, so I think it's important to acknowledge what Mimi Leader did for the show, which was, uh, I think she gave it a lot of focus that it didn't have before. Um, yeah, she directed... She directed both season openers for two and three, which were excellent. Yeah. Um, Cause you, they both open with like an alternate kind of. Oh, I know that these like little mini, these vignettes, I would say. Yeah. Like another time and a, and a character we don't know who doesn't really say a word. 
but yeah, we know they're stories that aren't that don't have anything to do with the main story but they i feel like they kind of give you a little hint as to what the theme of the season will be mm-hmm. um and she directed the she directed the finale for both season two and three and season one she did a most powerful adversary adversary for season two which is a great fucking episode Yes, and the crazy white fella thinking for season three. Ah, that's good. I didn't know she that. Did a lot of the a lot of the, the really great episodes. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So I think she got the show and sort of helped uh, help kind of steer it in the right direction. Um, and um, she's not a savior. You know, I'm sure a lot of the work was there, but she helped kind of fine tune it. Um, yeah. And uh, so I felt like we need to give her a little shout out there because you know she's listening. Um, sure she fucking listens. Yeah, so I mean, the story arc for season one, you know, I think we explained it pretty well. Um, if anything, you know, Lori, uh, Kevin's ex-wife, you know, ends up sort of breaking away from the cult. Um, yeah. Which, something interesting about Lori I, I wanted to point out, with Keith said I should save it for the show to talk about it, but mm. anyone who knows me knows that one of my top five all-time favorite films is Heat, uh, which was written and directed by Michael Mann, starring uh, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. And it's about a L.A. detective who's hunting a thief who's so good at covering his tracks. And it's about these two people whose parallel lives are sort of intertwined, and it's a masterful film. Anyway, Robert De Niro falls in love with a girl against his better judgment who is played by Amy Brenneman, who was Laurie on The Leftovers. And I didn't know that till last week. I don't understand that, because immediately I was like, oh, shit, it's that girl from... Dude, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. She looked a little younger. She wore her hair back, like, for the whole movie, you know, scrunchie. So, like, it just looked different to me. And then I got the... They did uh, a a remaster of the original negative, like a 4K restoration for Heat. Yeah. And I was watching the bonus features, and they had the panel that Christopher Nolan moderated. Um, where they brought everyone out, and I was like, oh, fuck, it's Lori. What? And I texted Keith, and he was like, you didn't know that? You're stupid. And I did yeah. feel stupid. I don't think I called you stupid, but... You said it. You said you're a fucking idiot, you piece did of... Did I? Yeah. I said you're a fucking idiot, you piece of shit? Yeah. To be fair, that does sound like something I would say. Uh, so... Um... So are we good on season one? Yeah. I think, you know, let's talk about season two and three, but this is definitely the spoiler area. So, you know, don't be afraid to talk about it as though people have seen it because ideally they should have already seen this shit by now. Well, we talked, we did spoilery stuff for season one. That's what, that's what I'm saying is, is, um, don't feel like you have to like recount specific things. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'll recount um, whatever I want. I mean, you can. I'm just. I'm letting you know, man. It's free flowing. Yeah. We don't have to. I'm, what I'm saying is, you don't have to act like they haven't seen it. Yeah, I know. I know. Is if but you're listening just, to this at this I, point, if you haven't seen it, you're fucking up. Yeah, but like the way that I come to things that I want to like, I, it just comes up organically by talking about specific things. True, and yeah. I, and yeah. Especially season one, I needed to cite characters so you could tell me what the fuck happened because I didn't remember. Absolutely, yeah. Um, well, one of the things I loved on season two, and I said earlier in this podcast, I absolutely hate it 
when people switch directions or switch characters. But this show switched its entire location in the very opening episode. And it opened up with a whole new family who we'd never met before. Hell yeah. And I loved it. And that's not like me to, <laughs> to love that. Dude, and I think it go that goes to to speak to the storytelling prowess of that team because I think when you do that, and especially when you open the season up the way they did with that little vignette with the the cave girl, um, yeah. um, when you do that, you are really showing off that you know your shit. Like you're not you're not relying on a specific actor, you're not relying on a specific aspect of your show. Um, you could. I mean, you could tune in and be confused a little bit, um, but you understand that you're watching the same show with the same stuff in it. Uh, and you're dealing with a lot of the same themes and stuff. Uh, just that was really well done. And you sp- it's, it's like 40 minutes until you see the Garveys pull up. Yep. Like, uh, but you, you definitely get a sense of this new location. And I think that was important to do because they go to this town called uh, Jarden, Texas, which people have dubbed Miracle because it was the one of the few towns on the planet that was not affected by the departure at all, supposedly like no, like no one disappeared. So Mm -hmm. there's kind of like this uh, religious fervor around it. Like they definitely walled off and keep it protected. People want to get in for some reason. They think there's something magical about this place. And for some of the residents that live in there, they definitely want to dispel that theory. Um, and they don't really like that notion. So I I do love the way that that, that uh, season opened. And I, I like the new characters they introduced. And the characters that they kind of ditched from season one uh, yep. that I wasn't really into. Um, uh, yeah, in the Jordan, uh, you know, they went from a small New York town to a little Texas town. Um, yeah. So, you know, it looked different. It felt different. Uh, it was a little warmer, I think. Um, but also this is when the show really started to embrace the humor. So yeah. it, it, it sort of felt a little warmer tonally as well. Um, yeah, the whimsical nature really kicked in when you, when you heard that musical chime in the vignette after that cave woman's basically entire world got crushed in a cave. In. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then she had to like give birth by herself and they, the, this musical cue kicks in instead of the normal, like sad piano of the leftovers that you uh-huh. are acclimated to with season one. Um, and I forget who I think it's a Mozart uh, arrangement, but it just it it felt I was like oh shit they're doing something different here. Um, yeah, and they keep they keep that like fun playful nature, and keep the drama with it too throughout. But mm. yeah, it was immediately you could tell something's different here, and it's for the better. Yeah. Um. So I want to talk about the Murphys for a second. So mm-hmm. I had never seen Kevin Carroll in anything who played John Murphy. I thought he yeah. was fantastic. Um, as a side note, I think he'd be good as uh, Victor Sullivan in the Uncharted movie. I can Just throw that out there. I can get down with that. Um, yeah, he was he was really good, and he had to play this this very complex part that you know he was sort of the bad sheriff of the town from behind the scenes. And, you know, we had to like him and his family, but that we knew something was off about him and we didn't know what, um, but more importantly, Regina King, who plays his wife, Erica, holy shit. She was so fucking good. Yeah. She was great. 
and the tr only tragedy of the show is that she had a, a scheduling commitment for season three that conflicted with the schedule, so she only appeared for one scene in <sighs> season three. It was worth it, though. Oh, so good. We'll get to that later. But her kids, I could take or leave. I, I didn't really like the actress who played Evie and um, the his, their son, Michael, I thought was okay. He was all right. I mean, yeah. he was more like a convenience of plot uh, than anything else, like get Kevin from A to B. But um, to just put him in, the, put us in this new town with this new family uh, with a new perspective. And I thought that was great um, and ballsy and it fucking worked so yeah, well. It paid off. So that whole uh, that whole season, you know, was when I was like, "Whoa, this is what this show's about, man!" Man, they're doing some weird stuff, and yeah. Kevin starts having these visions of Patty, who committed suicide at the end of season one. She cut her own throat, yeah. if I'm after not Kevin mistaken. Kid after Sleepy Kevin kidnapped her. Yeah, after Sleepy Kevin kidnapped her. Um, she cut her own throat, and he sees her. And she talks to him, and no matter what he does, he, he puts in headphones and plays music as loud as possible. But as soon as it stops, she's there waiting for him. Yeah. And he can't escape her, and it's pushing him, even a guy who is already broken psych psychologically, even farther over the edge. Um, and that episode where it flashbacks to when he goes and digs up her body, the Where Is My Mind episode. Mm -hmm. I love that song. Uh but uh, when he had these visions of her, and he's like, I can't take this in, digs up her body in the police station, and he's like, she's dead, I buried her. They're like, okay, and they let him go. <laughs> it's so <laughs> fucking good. Yeah. Because he's like, like, he's like, I can't take this anymore, thinking it's this sort of guilt is why he's yeah. seeing Patty, and he just tries to shed her by... By confessing, and they don't care, and she's still with them. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, this is this is when the show really comes into itself, and it embraces the weirdness, and it embraces the humor, and it gets fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah, I like. Um, well, like we touched on before, I like when they set up the Garveys moving into. Uh, to Jarden. Um, I like when Nora and, and Kevin kind of like confess to each other all the weird shit about them. And I was like, oh shit, I'm super into Nora and Kevin now. Like it's all out there. They're fucking weird and they accept it and they're willing to like build a life and shit. And, uh, they end up adopting that baby that was left on their porch in the beginning. And, uh, the whole like move to Jordan, like I love the way they're trying to get into it and whatever like housing situation they have falls through. And Nora's the one who like takes the bull by the horns, like we're buying a fucking house. Kevin's like, this is not the fucking plan. And she's like, she's basically like, grow a set of balls, man. <laughs> like we need to get in here. Yeah. Um, yeah she has her, uh, what, like her MIT money or whatever. They like bought her house because everyone departed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, like, so she doesn't give a shit about that money. She'll just fucking spend it. She doesn't care. Yeah. And plus, uh, oddly enough, her brother Matt ended up being there anyway. So yeah, plot convenience, but still. Um, yeah. Keep Chris, keep Doctor Who on the show. Yeah. Wait, are you so you're talking about when like she looks at him and he's like, 
she says, uh, I pay prostitutes to shoot me in the chest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he goes, I see. Blink. What, what does he say? He says, uh, he, he talks he, about a sleepwalking. Yeah, he's like, he's, he sleepwalks and, and he sees Patty, right? Does he tell her no, he sees he Patty at that, that point? Yet. No, that's at the, the height of season two. Well, she starts handcuffing him to the bed. Oh, no, she does that because he's sleepwalking. She does that because he's sleepwalking. Again, I apologize, guys. I'm a little fuzzy. Please cut me some slack. Yeah, so, like, the, the big action that sets everything off in, in Season 2 is that uh, they think that a bunch of kids have departed because there's, like, this earthquake the first night that they're there and the, the Murphy's uh, daughter, like, it disappears. Yeah, Evie so just vanishes. Yeah, there's this big mystery, and they're trying to figure out if they actually departed or somebody, like, kidnapped them or something. And Kevin's and caught up in it because his Kevin's palm prints on the car, it. right? Yeah, because he's he's sleepy. Kevin was out there doing something, killing himself. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to kill himself with a cinder block. Oh my the god, look, I'm all the god, way. The, the look on his face when he's fucking looking at them is just kind of like fuck. You guys want, and then he just jumps off the fucking cliff with the thing. Oh, uh, so good. Yeah, um, attempting to kill himself unsuccessfully. Uh. And then, yeah, it just goes from from there. Like, I forget what Nora is doing this whole time. She's just trying to, like, move past her kids and stuff. And I feel like all this stuff won't let her really do it. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I, I, what I really remember from two is, like, her... Um, when she, she almost tries to get... To, like, break Regina King's character to, like, yeah. Erica... By giving her that sort of census fucking thing she does for a living. And it backfires so bad. And, like, she has no control over the situation. Um, Yeah, I think that reopens the wound. And that's when they're separate. Like, her and Kevin's separation really begins again. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, like, that's... She really... You could tell that's when... Even though it was, like, a terrible moment, she really does become friends with Erica as a result of that instance. Like, they sort of both needed that. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, that scene where they're sitting there is absolutely fantastic. But um, you want to talk about the international assassin? Oh hell yeah! So so Kevin's going bonkos crazy, and I actually I might end up liking the episode before that a little more. I feel like there was a, a sense of urgency and emergency to it, and then uh, Lori comes back into the fold because she's like basically left the guilty remnant and is trying to help other people leave too rather unsuccessfully with her son Tommy. Um and so she's comes to town, she's looking for Tommy because he ran away and gives Kevin the kind of like realistic here's what's going on with you. You're not really seeing Patty. You're having a psychotic break and you just and and that gives it the I guess uh kind of realistic explanation of it. And you know, seeing Patty is more of like a supernatural kind of magical way of approaching the world and so as a viewer i like how they trickle the information in they're really good at this as to be like what is actually real and what's not and you're essentially being told like like kevin believes he's really seeing patty and she's really there and so you're like is there fucking magic in this world i mean there are the ghosts or what's going on and the things that laurie says like they make sense but the other dude is like, I know you're seeing a woman and I can help you get rid of her forever. 
and so that's really enticing to Kevin because Nora basically he he tells Nora that that uh, he's seeing a dead person. And apparently, that is too much after all the craziness that they've already been to been through, and <coughs> just can't handle that. Yeah. So she basically is like, "I'm I'm leaving. I don't know what to do with that." And Kevin, in a desperate attempt to get her back, follows this guy's plan, which is like, "You gotta die. <laughs> you have to kill yourself to get rid of yeah." Penny. And uh, boy, he dies. <laughs> he dies. Super oh my hard. god! It's, he drinks this poison, dude. It's I remember watching this, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" And the clips on the next week's leftovers didn't show him at all. Yeah, they're really good about that too. Like because I don't, I didn't watch it streaming when you did, so I don't know if it shows next time in the leftovers. But like with a mystery show, even though I don't want to have anything given away, I would always watch the next week on leftovers clip. Yeah. And they didn't show anything. And I was like, oh, fuck, he's dead. <laughs> like, Dude, they I didn't... handle that really well. And another show that does that really well is Doctor Who. Is like, you'll see the whatever's coming up next week. And it is the way they present the footage is totally not the plot of the show. But it cool. does leave you with a like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And I think, I think that's the way it should be. I think yeah. that person is doing a good job. Whoever has to make that clip uh, does a really really good job because i mean as far as the viewer goes he's fucking dead he drank the yeah. poison and he died um oh yeah so and then that dude was supposed to resurrect him and he fucking like just he just kills himself as soon as yeah dead. dude i'm like oh shit what the fuck is going on here yeah and i was like wait a minute so is this guy trying to kill kevin but then i stopped or did he know he needed to help him in the afterlife yeah well you then know? they they then that's when they really go for it as far as like what's going on with this shit, they create their own version of the afterlife and it can be like whatever you think it is. If it's a yeah. real afterlife or whatever. But, yeah. What, uh, is it, what does it say? Um, uh, know who you are first, know who you are first and then uh, adorn, adorn yourself, yourself accordingly. accordingly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so man, who, international assassin was such a fucking awesome. Yeah. Episode. And like whatever outfit you pick out of that wardrobe it's going to be you. So, like, who are you deep down? Yeah. And he didn't know it when he was picking that suit, or maybe he had an inkling, but that that was going to represent his dark side. Um, yeah. And all of a sudden, he puts the suit on, and there's a hitman at his door. And it's just like, what? He has to assassinate the, pres- the president? You know, Oh, yeah, it's just like, candidate. it's so weird. It pops off in such a, like... Well, it feels very, like, voyeuristic. Like, the... It feels like escapism, and essentially that is what Kevin's character is constantly doing, is running away from his circumstances. Oh, yeah, he runs away so good. Yeah. And his if problems. You <laughs> if you couldn't tell if you couldn't tell from the first scene you see him in, yeah. literally running, Yeah, that is kind of Kevin's character in a nutshell. Um, but yeah, god damn it, that, that shit was so good. And I was so into it. I was like, I don't even care if they're trying to tell me that an afterlife exists in any form. This is just what storytelling is. This is so good. And this isn't about like exploring what the afterlife is. This is about like Kevin and everything that's going on with him. Yeah. Um, and his like final showdown with Patty. Oh, and, man. Oh, my God. And I don't know how you come up with this idea. Like, I love movies and games and tv shows but like i've never been like a creative person it's hard for me to have like an original thought it's a moment like this and a concept like this and i'm like who who does this where how do you it's and it's so insane 
but it works and i don't know why and i love it and it's awesome yeah and, and to the same effect this is the kind of shit that i hate because i had a fucking similar kind of scenario for a batman story i wanted to do and they just did a not exactly the same but a similar thing and just did it so much better than i ever could have conceptualized and i'm just like fuck you guys but i love everything that you're doing yeah seriously fuck you guys um and so i feel like if i was ever to do that i would just be called a fraud but i gotta work around that anyway uh so patty really is still kevin's main antagonist in season two and they come to a head in this dream or afterlife or whatever the fuck world you believe it is yeah um and and he has to rid rid himself of her and so he thinks it's assassinating her because that's what the that's what the world is telling him yeah um, that he has a job to do and it's to shoot her in the fucking head yeah and he comes to find Random out sh- that no she's manifesting herself in this little girl who had already drowned and he saved her and is just being abused by who we thought is her father but ends up being patty's dead fucking husband yeah who was an abusive uh piece of shit and you yeah. know the kid the the realization that she's the kid is this is where the show is at its best because it does really heartbreaking dude it's heartbreaking it's so fucking heartbreaking touching stuff because that kid is a representation of how in an abusive relationship or in any like bad relationship that is how you feel like you feel like you're a kid at the behest of someone else instead of on equal footing with someone um and and i could i could relate to that really hard because there's definitely when when people you love hurt you really bad or, or bad for you, they do have that tenacity to make you feel like you're a helpless child again. Yep. Um, and that realization, even though like I, I could see it coming a little bit, like but I didn't, it didn't, it wasn't right up until the moment where I was like, Oh, I get it. But yeah. Um, and, and she's a character who up to this point, we really are supposed to despise. Right. Yeah. But then, yeah. You know, I I think before this we got to see her before the departure and some yeah. of what she was going through. So like we do sympathize uh, or empathize. Um, but uh, that being said, when he goes into the afterlife with the mission of ridding himself of her, and like as soon as he sees this kid, he gets it. He's like, it's not her fault. Um, this isn't going to be easy. And he accepts that and he still moves forward with it. And it, you know, bringing, having to bring this girl all the way to the well. Yeah. And, and she's sitting there and she's looking at him. And I watched this like a few hours ago and I was like, totally forgot how fucking good this was. Yeah. And she's looking at him. She's like, would it be easier if I close my eyes? And he's like, Kevin Thoreau was just crushing it. And he's got, tears in his eyes and he's like trying to yeah, talk to this he kid has, he has to kill a kid like dude if you think it's a dream or not to him everything that's happening is real and just yeah. like the fact that he has to like fucking kill this little kid yeah but is... not just a kid but this good part of patty that he knows exists yeah you know and like yes he, all he wants is to just not have her in his life anymore and to just be alone and he can't he knows what he has to do. And he fucking goes into the well. Yeah. 
And he sits there and, and Ann Dowd gets to give this amazing monologue about her Jeopardy experience. And I was like, what the, like this show, only this show will like kill your character, put him in the afterlife, have him assassinate someone and essentially fall into a well and listen to a woman talk about that time she went on Jeopardy and you're yeah. you, like, it will bring you to tears. It's so good. Dude, yeah, um, that is an absolute. It's one of the best like villain hero resolutions I've ever seen. Uh, yep, and it, it is she not looks at, like yeah. a big battle. It's just literally they talk to each other. And... Yep, she look she looks at him and says, "Kevin, I'm scared," and he says, "I know, I am too." And then yeah. he drowns her, and it's like, oh, "What?" Yeah, he had, he had to get the fuck out of her. Uh had to be done. It's all for Nora. Oh yeah. Anyway, so the, yeah, that and then he crawls out. He wakes up and crawls out of the grave. Um, kind of walks back into town, only to get <laughs> in the next episode to get shot by John. <laughs> oh yeah. my god! And dude, when he fucking I'm not even talking about Evie yet, but when when he wakes up in that hotel and the overture starts playing, there's yeah. this this piece. I don't even know how to pronounce the composer's name or the name no. of the piece, but I Keith has been try. texting it to me nonstop, a weird YouTube video of it. Yeah. Um, when that music starts playing, you're like, you know, we know, the audience knows where he is, but he's yeah. still almost in denial. And then he looks in the mirror and he's like, fuck <laughs> yeah i love it when he looks at the tv he's trying to turn the tv on or whatever he's like i'm not doing this fucking shit again <laughs> he's yelling for his dad thinking he's gonna be there it's so good mm-hmm. it's so good but they bring him back and yet the way that it's resolved is so so different yeah you think you think it's like oh my god he's gonna have to do this you know, he put now he puts on instead of his international assassin, he puts on his police chief outfit. Yeah. So they're like, Oh, there's a, a cop's being attacked in the bar, you have to come help him. And all it is is he puts on his cop outfit, he goes to the bar, and he has to sing karaoke, karaoke roulette. Yeah. And he sings Homeward Bound, uh, by Simon and Garfunkel. And this is another fucking Justin Thoreau just knocking it out of the park. Yeah. Not only do you have to fucking sing and shit, but you got to do like a whole emotional arc where Kevin's like basically on the verge of crying because he just wants to go home, but he always, but he always is like running away from home. It's not like a, a surprising character arc for like a male character. You've, we've seen this before, just never done this well. Oh, so good. In the beginning of the song, he doesn't want to sing it. He's not even that into it. He's like, would rather be doing something else. And by the end, just looking at his face, you know he just wants to get back to Nora. It's yeah. fucking unreal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love so good. Yeah. Um. So, you know, long story short, he ends up waking up and walking back into town. But when he see, you know, one thing I forgot is that you know he's he's trying to heal himself with gauze he's bleeding literally everywhere <laughs> yeah and and you know john comes in and is like what the fuck i shot you in the chest you know and he's like yeah he's just laying there he's like he's like i killed you and he goes yep <laughs> <laughs> um 
And then what you texted it to me earlier on their their exchange that I thought was great. Yeah. What was it? I thought I killed you. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand what's going on here. Me neither. And, and that's then, just kind of I they feel laugh. like yeah, they're laughing at that and to crying. me is the show. Yeah, that to me is the show kind of being like I feel like that's their meditation on just life. Like there's an absurdist factor to life of there's as much as we want to sit here and debate and delineate and and talk about religion or if there is a God or if it's all just science, it's going to be a very long time. If ever we'll know, we'll just know like the absolute truth. And I don't even know if there is an absolute truth, Yeah. but for now we are stuck in this absurdist reality where just everything is just nutso uh, and could change. I mean, it could change at the drop of a dime, our condition for whatever reason. And you kind of have to accept the comedy of that. And I think that that is that perfect moment in that show where it's like, this is what the show's about. Like you'll probably never get an explanation for any of the big stuff. And you just kind of have to take uh, stock of all the things that are important to you. And at this point it should be these characters uh, for yeah. the audience. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone, all the characters in that show kind of understand um the other characters that are important to them relationship wise as well and i think that, that shows in the the closing scenes of season two yeah oh and i and i texted you earlier when uh when john's walking up to his house and he's worried about you know he looked his wife into the face and said fuck you you know yeah. and he's he, he's dealing with the fact that his child may not love him and did this terrible thing and he's like, he has to go back to his family after he shot a man in the chest. And how do you go back to your life? And he walks yeah. up to the door and he goes, what if no one's home? And Kevin's with a, a hole in his chest, looks at him, the guy who shot him, and goes, you just come over to my house. It's like, yeah. oh my God, so good. And he walks in the door and everyone he loves is sitting there waiting for him. And the, and yeah. the season ends and it's fucking perfect. Yeah, he's and, got all his family there. I, at that time, I'm like, that's the last episode of The Leftovers that I'm ever going to see because there's no way this show is getting a third season because it yeah. didn't have the ratings and it got no, you know, usually if a show doesn't have ratings, it might get um, some love on the, like, the award circuit, mm-hmm. whether it's like the Emmys or the Golden Globes. And this show was directed well enough and it was fucking damn right acted well enough to where it could have easily won had it been nominated. But no one saw it, so no one nominated it because no one voted for it. And because it was never nominated for anything, and no one watched it. So, like, I just assumed it was over. (laughs) Yeah, such bullshit, too. Like, I've never been... Well, I mean, I have been, but this is one of the few shows that I immediately dropped watching everything else and i was like i need to just see this show like Mm -hmm. they're doing something here storytelling wise that is it's clear that they had a budget and they use it really well and they relied more on editing than like fancy visual effects and stuff uh performances were out of this world uh it's a really really well-made show and it is a tragedy that, that people don't talk about it enough but i mean you know we've got hopefully um years for people to discover it and sure yeah i look forward to you know when aubrey has the time to actually watch this show 
and to, mm-hmm. to, to getting to like rewatch because we watched the pilot and she enjoyed it, but like she just she's in grad school, she doesn't have the time. Um, yeah. But I'm looking forward to like getting to watch it through her eyes again, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, because man, you only get to exp- like I can rewatch these crazy episodes and love them just as much. But that that experience of like, holy shit, what is happening? Oh my god, this is happening! You only get that one time. Um, yeah. And so I would happily watch other people experience that or talk to other people. So I, I have to hope that people will discover it. And yeah, we didn't get more. And yeah, like I'm fine with the amount of leftovers we have. I don't need any more. It was good enough. Yeah, um, I feel like it, it is. It. But season three was real tight, and it was good. Yeah, and I, and I didn't think I was going to get it. I, I really thought that was it. Um, so when HBO greenlit it and said, we're going to give you eight episodes to finish the show, I was like, fuck yes. Yeah. To, to know that you're getting to the end, and I feel like, you know, a lot of shows, they feel that pressure of getting to the end, and it could be a multiple season buildup, so maybe to only get your footing in season two and to really go there and to just go to this funny, weird, dark place and then go, oh, you only have eight episodes left to kind of tie it, put a bow on it. Um, so, yeah, maybe they didn't have the big setup that shows like Lost might have had. Mm-hmm. But what they did have was very, very well-developed characters. Um, so I felt like we were all sort of given what we needed in season three. Um which, you know, ended up taking place in Australia. Mostly, yeah. Mostly, mostly. It was a big time jump, number one. Just another another yeah, it was, time jump. Was it four, four years? Three years, because I, te- I think season two is technically the fourth year. Yes. This was supposed to be coming up on the seven-year anniversary of the departure. Yeah. So they go to Australia, and one interesting thing when I was... I'm sorry, go ahead. It had the way they explained it was it had some sort of biblical significance. Uh, so everyone thought something was going to happen on the seventh year, the seven year anniversary. Yeah. Um, shit, I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. So when I was, uh, I tried to jot down some notes before we did this because I'm, again, I was pretty fuzzy on season one. So I wanted to write down as much as I could. And, um, one of the things I did was, you know, I wrote down all the characters on the show and the characters that came in, and I realized in season three they really only introduced like character, mm-hmm. and I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, and that was I Grace, I think her name was. Oh yeah, yeah. Who? Grace. Yeah, so she's this Australian woman who lost her whole family. They didn't depart. She thought they departed. Her story was so fucking sad when she tells it to Kevin Sr. Oh, my God. And you find out her kids just, like, went out in the fucking bush and just died. Oh. That's heartbreaking, that scene. Leftovers has these moments between two people that just makes you so feel so bad for them. But not in a way where you don't like, you don't want to watch it, you know? Like, usually when there's this much shittiness, like, I don't want to see it because I feel so sad. I feel sad for them, but I'm so intrigued by what's happening that I don't, like, want to turn away. Yeah. You know? And that scene with her and Kevin Sr. was a good example of that. Yeah. The way it ended with him. 
yeah. she talks about drowning a fucking cop, which was brutal to watch. But also uh, very funny. Yeah. It was uh, it was weirdly funny. Um, you know, and again, I feel like if they did that in season one, it would have been dark. You know, yeah. it, they get the humor, so yeah. Um Yeah, she was she was good, but it's you know, it they they did this big setup where the, all the things that happened in season two, all the Kevin dying and coming back, you know, mm-hmm. Matt writing his fucking book of Kevin. Yeah, it was. It, I felt like season three was building towards this big, epic biblical thing, um, and and that's how they marketed season three, and I love that it essentially didn't happen. Oh yeah, it was a nice little whimper. Yeah, and it's and not just to to like kind of keep us on our toes and to keep us just you know to to kind of do a sleight of hand and say oh it's it, it, you thought you knew the end of the show but it ended up re- like the climax of the show ended up being like essentially Kevin and Nora talking to each other and that was like amazing. Yeah, so like the kind of journey they go on is they do this time jump and it's still set in Texas same town but they've kind of like rebuilt because there was the guilty remnant ended up being like still alive and active in season two and they invaded jardin basically showed everyone how not special it was i guess yeah um but the town was like kind of set into chaos and i guess over the last three years kevin and a bunch of other people kind of reestablished order he's a cop again and they've just been kind of trying to heal the town um and there's lots of superstition about like, you know, this is seventh anniversary. So what's going to happen? Uh, Matt's writing a book about Kevin and it's very much like representative of how like religions get started about these, these real events that happen that seem weird, but they get embellished in weird ways. Uh, and as he, as he points out multiple times, he's like, I'm just recounting Kevin's story exactly the way it happened, you know? Um, but then everyone starts interpreting it weirdly and, and uh, Kevin's super uncomfortable with it. I think the, the thing that Kevin is grappling with is the fact that this motherfucker has died. <laughs> it's like <laughs> come back to life a few times and uh, doesn't know how to readjust or deal with the fact that people think he's a very Messiah figure. So yeah, that he just, putting he a just like fake plastic, suffocates himself. Put a plastic bag over his head. Yeah. And I think it's just him trying to like run away again and escape. Yeah. Possibly him trying to make it into the afterlife, but he still is weird about how all the ro- all the rules work in there. And, and it's never made clear to the viewer how exactly the rules work. Cause uh-huh. um, later in the season he goes back and it's very different. It operates completely differently. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's um... again, playing with viewer expectation and masterfully. Yeah, uh, and one of the things I loved uh, about season three is that they really had Nora in a bad way. They had her in a tough place, and she's someone who always had control, or at least presented that she had control. And as the season progressed, she visibly was losing it, like episode by episode. She was kind of slipping more and more into this fucking absolute mess of a person who lost her whole family and never... Um. And one thing I really want to point out is uh, she's she's essentially contacted by this mysterious these mysterious people 
who have built a machine that can get you, supposedly, teleport you to where all the departed people went to, right? Mm -hmm. And the way that it's presented to her is in the form of Mark Lynn Baker, who played Cousin Larry on Perfect Strangers. Yeah. He's playing himself in the show. And he's this show is so fucking meta. He's playing himself. How awesome is that? It's like, because awesome. the show referenced, I think in season one, how three of the four main cast members of Perfect Strangers departed. Yep. And they thought that all four had departed, but Mark Lynn Baker was the only one who didn't. And he, he felt so upset by that that he disappeared to Mexico to make it look like he departed. So there was like this joke. I feel like the show had a couple of jokes. One of them was about Gary Busey. Yeah. And the other one was about Mar- Perfect Strangers. And then like in season two, they're like, oh, Mark Lane Baker showed up in Mexico. And it turns out he faked his, his departure. And then he's the one who sits down with Nora and, and delivers this fucking pitch about this machine. That can yeah. get you there. Holy shit. And yeah, then we, later in the episode, who, I know I'm a little bit older than you, so I don't know if you've ever seen an episode of Perfect Strangers, but that... Okay, so actually, let's talk about this. Season one opening credits were very dark and foreboding. Yeah. Season two opening credits actually. was very happy country music about kind of a sad subject. Yeah. And then in season three... It had the visual opening credits from season two, but every episode had a different song playing mm-hmm. in the beginning of it. Um, Something that was appropriate for the content of the episode. Correct. Uh, it always had the song always tied into what was going to happen. Um, and the episode that we're discussing right now played the opening theme from Perfect Strangers. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck is happening? Is this really <laughs> happening? Yeah. And then Max Richter, who does an amazing job scoring this show. He has some of the saddest little piano themes you could ever think of, but like just hearing it can kind of move you. If you've seen the show, you just hear this music and it just like hits this emotional chord. Yeah. He actually worked the Perfect Strangers theme into the score later in the episode. You could hear it again when Nora is driving to go find the her her daughter who she had to get back. Mm-hmm. Um it was amazing. So good. Yeah. One of the things I like about season three, and I don't remember if they did this in season two that much, but specifically in season three, uh, Lost was famous for like a bunch of mysteries and they didn't really, they annoyingly set up some long standing ones that they didn't pay off and uh, some short standing ones too. But the leftovers felt so intentional where they had their long standing mystery, which was clear from pretty early that you're probably not going to get an answer to this. Yeah. But then they had these interstitial mysteries where, especially in season three, something weird would happen in an episode. And then in the very next episode, it would like basically get answered. And, and then they would set up another mystery and it would be, it would, you'd just be this domino effect. And they really kind of, they really hit that good stride too in season three, which is like sucked because I was like, Oh, well, this is it, you know? Yeah. I'm hoping, I'm hoping these guys will all work together again and make another show where maybe they can find a little bit more success. But the storytelling at hand here is amongst my favorite I've seen since Hannibal really hit its stride in season. Yeah. Two. But I feel like 
this wouldn't have worked, this method of storytelling, and then season three wouldn't have worked if there were a season four. Like, they knew they were sprinting towards the finish line, so they got to just do whatever they wanted to do without worrying about what they have to do next year. Yeah, I suppose. Um, So I feel like they could introduce these big mysteries and then pay them off the next time because they're like, well, if we don't pay it off next episode, how are we going to show Matt's orgy cruise? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that show was so funny. Well, because we got stuff to show, you know? It's like you got to, like, one thing I didn't expect from season three was to be so moved by Lori's episode. Because I always, yeah. you know, enjoyed her as an actress, but I never really, I could take her leave her as a character. Mm-hmm. But by the time you get to the end, you know, when she shows up and she drugs everyone while they're eating dinner. <laughs> yeah. So fucking funny. And he well, gets back on his horse and goes, Where's everyone? She's like, Oh, they're inside. I drugged them. Yeah. As we're moving closer and closer to this assumed apocalypse, everyone's getting a little more bananas, more and more, but Lori is always the one that's like uh, the voice of reason, I feel. Yeah. And so. Yep. But she, was, but she stops trying to talk people out of things, she just accepts it. Yeah, I mean, you can only do but so much, you know, yeah. outside of, like, ki- dragging someone, kicking and screaming. But if this is what they believe is going to happen, and if something is indeed going to happen, what is the point of telling them they're wrong or trying to pull them away when you don't even know what's going to happen? Like, she doesn't know. But reason tells her something else. But, um, you know, it, it, I thought it was all handled really well. I, I think at, at the core of it, it's about tolerance for belief systems um, in a really positive way. Uh, you know, if it's not harming anyone, what the hell, you know? I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. an atheist and, and I don't begrudge people for being religious. I think I think I have a strong opinion about religion, but I definitely, I don't go around saying like, if you're a Christian, you're bad, you know, there's uh-huh. good Christians, but I think the show does a really good, good job of toting, that kind of thing throughout the entire series. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Matt coming to terms with his own mortality and his own belief system that he had um, sort of kind of presents that like he was the re- the religious sort of voice of the show. Yeah. You lived and breathed the Bible and everything was tied into Christianity. And then he has this moment on his orgy cruise where, you know, he admits that he had only been doing all things because he thought that God was watching him and that God cared. And he realized in that moment that maybe that wasn't the case. Um, And, something wonderful the show does and I may probably because it's the last season and like the third to last episode instead of having that be this huge arc afterwards where it's like oh you know Matt he has to rediscover his faith he just like calmly points out a man being eaten by a tiger and saying oh or a lion saying oh that's the guy I told you about like yeah. he just he gets it in that moment, and then he just shifts to just caring about his sister. Yeah, and it's so great, you know. It, it doesn't. It doesn't say that he was wrong. Maybe God was watching, but it. It in the end, it doesn't matter. What matters is 
what does the character feel about the situation and what do they believe? Um, and seeing them go on that journey is so, so fucking cool. So. Agreed. I like the way his journey ended. Um, yeah, it was really good. It was really sweet. And, you know, like, you at the same time, like, he needed to take care of her. And, like, as soon as she was normal and didn't need him, he became obsessed with Kevin. And, like, that was his life. And she knew it. And as soon as she left, you know, he was like, oh, okay. Well, I'm going to go do these other things that I absolutely have to do. And if she wants to leave, fuck it, fine. That's fine. But, uh, I'm glad that he found peace at the end of his story. You know, that was that was really, really great. You know, now I don't expect every character to get um, the, 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 the happy ending. And I feel like he, for a guy who essentially got shit on for the whole show, <laughs> I feel yeah, like he got a pretty good ending. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I feel like, honestly, I feel like everyone kind of got a good or appropriate ending. Um, yep. I feel oh, bad for Kevin Senior standing up on that roof, not knowing yeah. what to do with himself. Yeah, but I mean, he was—he even says like when when he when he flips out on Christopher Eccleston's character, and it's like you didn't—I'm not in this book. Like all he cared about was himself. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, if you look at everything he did, he was very selfish. I mean, after Kevin's mother died, like he didn't know how to be a dad. And I don't think the show pretended it was anything else. So, yeah, you need to show him just kind of sitting there in his defeat. He was wrong. The apocalypse didn't happen. Oh, well. Yeah. You know? There's more, there's more to life than just being being wrong. Um, but he was a very prideful character. So, you know, I don't think he was going to take it the right way. Yeah. Um, we mentioned earlier on that Regina King had a scheduling conflict and couldn't really be in season three. So she got one scene with with uh, Carrie Coon before she goes to Australia. Yeah. Um, which has been known as the Wu-Tang trampoline. Uh, and it's, I think, my favorite moment in season three. Really? Yeah, I think Wu-Tang trampoline is. Um, I think. Or at least it's my favorite, like, it may not be the best moment, but it's definitely my favorite. Um, it's really, it is fun. It's awesome. Uh, to say that, like, all these things are, are wrong in your life, and the way that you deal with it is, you know, my, 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 my daughter got blown up by a fucking drone. You know, my husband, I have no relationship with him anymore, and he fell into a religious hole with my son. How do I deal with my problems? I just bounce on my trampoline. And yeah. For some amazing reason, they decided to score it to the Wu-Tang Clan, and we are all blessed for that. Well, yeah, because Nora got that Wu-Tang tattoo, and her explanation of that yep. was amazing. Uh, yep. So it's not like it's not like they just threw Wu-Tang out of nowhere. There was a reason for no, it. No, no, uh, but like, it, yeah. it was tied into the tattoo, but my point is that tattoo could have been anything, and they made it the <laughs> Wu-Tang symbol, knowing they were going to play this song on the trampoline. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. Uh, man, fucking fantastic. Protect your neck. Oh, yeah. So, I guess moving on into season three, um, do you want to talk about the International Assassin 2? Yeah, part two. Um, so, basically, 
I think the big thing, people, they want to get Kevin Australia because there's a bunch of people that, or at least, um, what's her name again? Go, what's the old lady's name? Who lost Grace. Children? Grace. Grace wants Kevin to come to Australia because she knows that he can, he basically can walk between worlds and she's trying to get some closure with her kids that died. Um, yeah. Where'd the and, shoes go? Exactly. And like, Kevin Sr. wants him to go to the underworld because he's like trying to learn this fucking ancient uh, <laughs> aboriginal song and he, the, la- the the person who knew the last part that he was trying to get died as he was like basically getting it from him in that moment. So he needs Kevin. Like everyone needs Kevin to basically die and Kevin being who he is decides to do it for them. And, and for himself. And for himself, for sure, because he he likes that. He likes living in that world. He's he's told, tells Lori it feels more real than yeah than reality. And he's always and he's always uh, very powerful. He always has a lot of power. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <coughs> excuse oh, bless me. you. Excuse me. Um. So yeah, we get international international assassin part due. Where he's really the president? That. Huh. I want that. I want that portrait of him as the president. <laughs> yeah, he's got he's like actually, a. He's like holding a book or something. <laughs> yeah. Um. So this time he is the assassin again, and he again has to kill the president. Except this time he is also the president, and he can swap between bodies. They say that they're twin brothers. You can swap between bodies by looking into reflective surfaces. Um, I don't know if any of this stuff or any of the imagery has like religious or biblical reference or anything. I feel like it would be fun to have studied that stuff and to catch these things. Um, it would also be fun to talk to anyone that was deep into this stuff and could point these things out. But Well, I know stands... for from a writing standpoint, they had a consultant like on staff during the writing yeah. process and while they were filming who just whatever they just know about all religions like very much in depth um, multiple so like i know that. it's all worked in there i just like you said i don't i don't know what it is <laughs> oh yeah there's a whole new level of shit just weird shit that i will never understand about it but um it is fun this time he is the president and the assassin and he's basically it's a metaphor for he needs to kill a part of himself which is the part that is running the shitty, the shitty dark part who happens yeah. to be wearing a black suit. Yeah, and the president is all white, but the president is part of the guilty remnant, which is the antagonist of the show, really. Um, so I think there's equal parts, uh, good and bad, in both of them, uh, and that's kind of the nature of humanity. Mm-hmm. Like you're never, there isn't this pure white part, and there isn't this pure black part. Uh, to you to you that's multifaceted some could say it's shades of gray oh but not 50. like the book. 50 no, shades. Not like the book. um and that feels more real and human and but there is this part of kevin that he needs to let go of and it's the part that needs to run and the whole time he's down there he's trying to he's trying to do all the tasks for it felt very very video gamey like he had it did, right? to do <laughs> yeah um if and and fun in that way too, where he had side quests to do and he was like checking them off. Um, oh, he checked off his dick scanner. 
Oh yeah, he did. I love the constant jokes about how big his penis is in the show. Um because they're almost joking about it as much as I am in real life. Well, I mean they are. I mean the the sound designer admitted to like going really hard with the sound effect for his like drunk slapping on the yeah. on the scanner. Yeah. I apologize oh. to everyone right now by the way because it sounds like I'm doing blow but really my my nose is just running. Uh, oh, and how awesome was it that uh, the the other the Australian sheriff Kevin was in it? He was his bodyguard, and he was looking yeah. at his wiener. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was awesome. They do a good job of using all of no actors in that show by accident. They will either come back in a big way or oh yeah, like um, speaking of that, um, uh, fuck, what was the guy's name? The Australian dude who fell off the cliff, who we ended up seeing in season two on the bridge. Oh yeah, I forget his name, but he was basically God, right? Yes. We're talking about the same. Well, in, as as far as the orgy cruise was, as far as yeah. the orgy cruise is concerned, he was God. He wasn't and presented when he was talking to Kevin in the earpiece. He still claimed he was God. Yep. Um, yeah. But in season two, on the on the bridge, he sort of presented him with a choice. He's like, you know, you. I don't think you have this in you you can go back or you can go ahead and go forward with it. But like yeah. in the first international assassin, he's not presented with a lot of power. And then he, I believe he's the one who tells Kevin that he has to sing karaoke. Yeah, uh, he is when he goes back in. So it's questionable on who this guy is, but I interpreted him as, um, you know, just someone who had a similar power to Kevin. Yeah. Someone that had, cause in real life there were news there were little nuggets of like news things of a guy who, who felt who died and came back to life. Yep. Uh, so he at least has the same ability Kevin has. And I think he's just interpreting it different than Kevin is. But he was, but Meg was his girlfriend and he shot her dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, did you shoot her? He's like, Nope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Just fucking keep, keep it being weird. And, you know, he goes down there and he does all the things he's supposed to do and everyone's questioning him the whole time. Is like, do you believe in what you're doing? And he says no. And then they're like, why are you down here? They keep asking him, why Why are you here? What are you doing? Um, and he still is very much being Kevin, running away from all his responsibilities. He ran away from Jarden where he was the chief of police, ran away from his family, ran and broke up with Nora. Their breakup scene was really good, by the way. We skipped over that. He's like, you should go be with him. And then he walks out of the room. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about our kids. Um, Take on me. Another instance of them being whimsical with tragic stuff. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, but like, oh, that scene where he's cutting his own heart out. Yeah. Oh, that was brutal. And then he There's looks whole... up. he looks up at himself and he goes, we fucked up with Nora. Yeah. Yeah, there's this whole rigmarole with launch codes and nukes and stuff, and yeah. the way and that's they trickle out that information is super fun, and then Patty shows up again, and she's the Secretary of Defense, and one of my favorite parts is when he smashes her glasses. Just the look on his face when he like, drops them <laughs> is so good. Drop my glasses back, and he just <laughs> fucking smashes them with the gun? <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah. And then they get to, you know, have their little fight club moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
So yeah, he he comes to an, a good a good character resolution there, but you know he wants to get back with Nora at the end of it and I honestly I wasn't sure if we were ever going to see Kevin again after that. Uh, that I, was the end of that episode. I I I figured we would um I I I with the way the show was going, they needed to have some sort of closure with him and Nora, and I didn't think they. Were, I didn't know if they'd be together or not, but I didn't think that they would deny us that, you know. Yeah. Um. So I and before we get to the finale, was there anything else? You um. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, they go to to Australia because, as you said, Nora was investigating the fact that people said that they could take people to where the, everyone had departed to, and Nora fully not admitting that she just wants to be with her kids again, um, trying to play it off like she's still a skeptic and is going to catch people in a scheme. You know, that's what sets them off going to Australia, and, and her arc leads her right up to the doorstep of the people that have, claim what this machine can do and she has her whole thing where she does their little test and fails it for whatever reason and they don't want to send her through but she basically like follows them and, and finds them with their machine and uh, bit, that's kind of where we hit the finale at the bitchy scientist <laughs> yeah um and, and I and you remember I I texted you after the, we saw the episode where she cried out for them yeah um and like we were talking about it and I was like he was like oh then that makes sense why that guy set himself on fire because he was rejected and I was like yeah it doesn't make you think like what if there isn't a machine and they're just doing this like like a fucked up guilty remnant just to mess people up and I was yeah. wrong because there ended up being one but it's still it was a cool example of the show giving you enough information to get you thinking but leaving enough out so you can make your own interpretation of the situation yeah i mean there is definitely a machine and it's still questionable as to what it does yeah um, if it just kills people because they really are at their wits end um mm. uh but you know does it work i don't know because we yeah ever get so so before we touch on that, I just want to talk about um, the final scene with Kevin and Nora. Well, actually, that, that when he comes and finds her, and then they get to go to, you know, he he's acting like he hasn't seen her since when they first started talking to her in Mapleton, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we don't know why. We think maybe, like, I thought maybe he died too many times. First of all, there's <laughs> a huge time jump. And basically it starts with Nora getting in this machine and just like really creepy build up to it turning on. And as soon as it's the moment where it's supposed to like supposedly take her to where the others departed, yeah. time jumps and Nora's older and we don't know where we are at all. Like we don't know if we're in the place where she jumped to or if she's dead and this is the afterlife or what the fuck's yeah. going on. And just the fact that Kevin shows up and he starts being fucking weird adds to all that and again this is the show doing the great thing where it's trickling information at you uh-huh. um in a really smart way and so yeah so kevin starts telling the story as you've already started yeah sorry i, I kind of jump around a little bit there good, everyone um but uh 
you know, you don't, you don't quite know. I don't, do I believe Kevin? And, and that just goes to how fucking good Justin Thoreau's performance is. So good. He's playing it like he hasn't seen her since when I first met in Mapleton. Um, and you're like, <laughs> I honestly thought it was a side effect of dying too much, and he just forgot. <laughs> yeah, he's got like Alzheimer's. And then, you know, he, he, he kind of coaxes her into coming into town, someone's wedding, and dancing with him. And they, they slow dance this really great Otis Redding song. And, you know, they're just on the verge of having this moment. And she ends up running away. And uh, they get their final little scene at the, at the kitchen table. Yeah. And I it was... Another really fun moment where he, like, pulls up and he's all mad. And he's like, yeah, I do fucking remember you and all this shit did happen. And he's like pouring his fucking heart out and like telling her stuff. And she's got like this great kind of blank look on her face. Not blank, I know. She's being attentive. And then she's just like, you want to have some tea? <laughs> and he's like, yes. got all the shit on his face. And he's like, what? <laughs> just the way he just like responds is uh, Justin Thoreau so good at that shit. Yeah. Like, yeah you want to have some tea? And he goes, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and they have this final scene this conversation and uh so I get your take on it like what do you think all right so this is what i was avoiding this whole episode of you and me talking was the things that the show leaves open to interpretation and what we believe it is yeah. did kevin really die or did he just take something that brought his pulse down and he was essentially dreaming for eight hours and then he dug himself out of the dirt. I don't know. Uh, was Kevin Sr. really fucking crazy? Um, were those people he was hearing there? Or weren't they? Was Patty there the whole time? Or wasn't she? Yeah. Like, this show proposes all these things to us. And because they're shown through that character's perspective, we see Patty. And Kevin sees Patty, therefore Patty's really there. What if she yeah. isn't? When it's just yeah. presented to us that way. Um, so now you get Nora essentially telling Kevin that everyone in the world just the way I interpreted her conversation was it kind of went to like a parallel universe only half of us went there or two percent went there and then the rest of us stayed here the world's exactly the same everything looks the same it's just some of the people are in this plane of existence and some of the people are on this plane of existence yeah she goes and finds her family and her husband has moved on and her kids are like seven years older she doesn't even you know they wouldn't recognize her and she realizes in that moment that this thing that i was chasing after I don't have a place in this world. It has moved on past me. And so she found the doctor who made the machine and made him make another one and send her back here. And Kevin looks at her and he doesn't believe, he says he believes her. I don't think he does. I just think he loves her and wants to be with her and he's happy to pay that toll and just say that he does. But if you look at Justin Thoreau's face, he doesn't even care. He doesn't care what she's saying. That doesn't matter. What matters is he's with Nora. Yeah. So, 
that's kind of the scene to leave it on. And yeah, for and a that, show and... that is so down and dour, it had a really nice and sweet ending. Yeah, it did. And like, do I believe if any of this stuff happened? I mean, I don't know. I I think that Kevin really saw Patty, and I think that Kevin Sr. was probably insane, and I yeah. think that um, well, I mean, I it was up in the air if Lori killed herself or not until they actually showed her. Yeah. I was of the belief that she did. Yeah, um, I did too. I think everyone did. Yeah. Yeah, but I actually read an interview with Lindelof where they talked about that and they essentially had killed her off but it didn't sit well with them and they're like well it could be taken either way so let's just bring her back for the finale and they wrote her back in so um as as you know with with regards to the departure i mean you can't say well well that doesn't make sense because it's and the, 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 what did happen is two percent of the world's population disappeared so it would make just as much sense that they would go somewhere else. So, yeah, I mean, sure, maybe maybe it did happen, but so, yeah, like why would mechanics... why would Nora go all the way there and just to come all the way back? Like she could just go be a hermit living in the woods. Somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, you could pick it apart, but that's the great thing about this show. It's not about the mystery. That scene yeah. wasn't about Nora. Telling what, saying what really happened to everyone who disappeared on this entire show. That scene was about her and Kevin sitting there and talking again after all these years. It just seems it's interesting and weird to talk about because it's it is Nora acting very unNora like. If what she's saying isn't true, yeah, because. I don't know what I believe. Like, do you personally think she's telling the truth or do you think she's just like, um, do you think she really went over there and then came back? Uh, I don't know. I honestly, I, I, I haven't, you know, I, I see how both answers could be true, but I never decided to side with one. So I, I don't know. It's like, it's like picking a team to win and you don't really want, team to win like i don't i'm happy being in the middle i don't feel compelled to make up my mind about it and i don't think that's the point but it's fun that you and i can talk and say do you think this and i could say yes and you can say no and no one's wrong (laughs) yeah i mean i think i don't know and i mean here's what i think is going on is that i think that the story that she tells isn't exactly what happens and i think it's more of like just the way that it's edited and and the way that she's in this machine and it is about to go off and she definitely says something and it sounds like she's about to stop the machine and i think that the story that she describes of like going to this other place and seeing her kids and basically realizing there's no place for her there is that kind of emotional journey that she was taking as the machine was filling up of like oh shit i'm really going there realistically it's seven years later what the fuck is it like wherever they are and you know in this world that you live in 
she has technically moved on and like their circumstances are completely different. What's to say it's not the same over there? Um, if her family was to come back, where do they fit in here? You know? Yeah. Um, so I think it's more of a description of her emotional journey as opposed uh-huh. to a physical real journey that she took. And then uh. it just peppers in some details to like make it seem realistic and to basically like, I think uh, from an emotional standpoint, this is the thing that's been happening to her through, through these like 15 years that have passed. And I think she's just had a lot of time to work out the mechanics of, well, if we, if we're here, they have to be somewhere and over there they're missing 98% of the population. And so thinking about the fact that like, there's not a lot of pilots or anything like that was all really smart. And it seems like something Nora would think about. Um, yeah. So that's kind of where I stand on it. I don't, I don't think she really crossed over. Yeah. And just the way that it's edited is like, she just, you just sit there with her telling that story. Um, and I think if she had actually gone over, you would have gotten some scenes at least. Yeah. Yep. You're probably right, but I like leaving it open. I mean, yeah, I don't think it's a matter of am I right or am I wrong. I think that's just kind of the way I read it. Yeah. Just based off of like how I feel about Nora. Um, and then with the Kevin stuff of him, is he re- is he really going to the afterlife or whatever? Um, it shit makes your fucking brain hurt when you think about it because immediately what i think is when you die and if it's not like anything that damages your brain there is brain activity after death and so what is happening like i would imagine it would be some sort of hyper dream state where you can have the spiritual experience because people talk about having near-death experiences and and them being incredibly spiritual especially even when you are not religious um, you can be spiritual without being religious. Um, so is it that? And if it is the fucking guy that the Australian dude is down there, you, you would, I, I say that thinking that everyone he sees down there, they're all people that he's met. But then the first, in the first one, he sees that Australian dude who he's never met. He's maybe, well, maybe he caught a glimpse of him on TV or whatever. But then the second time he goes down there, there's the Australian Kevin which he's also never met or seen. So, yeah. And and you could probably pick apart like a bunch of people that he's, that are down there that he's never met or seen. Um, Yeah. And you know what I was thinking of when he first meets the Australian guy on the bridge, mm -hmm. I'm like, wait a minute. So this is when the Australian guy fell off the cliff. Yeah. And was dead on the other side of the world. It's cool. When you think about that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And I think as he's down there, and he's interacting with that guy, it's already been on the news that he's come back to life. Really? Be- yeah, before before he goes into the underworld, there's already a news thing on the TV. I think it's in like the second episode where this Australian dude emerges from a cave after having supposedly died. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. If I have my timelines correct. Well, um, you probably have a better timeline than me. So, I mean... Who's to say? I think you could probably find some good theories online. This is this is just the kind of the way I feel about it going in. And then by the time you get to season three and everything goes bananas, I'm just like, whatever. I'm in it for the storytelling. Don't care how the mechanics work. Yeah. And the storytelling holds up throughout. And I think that's the highest praise I can give 
this show or really any storytelling medium is that you could add in whatever kind of fancy effects and costume designs and, and all this shit and people can, you know, say their lines perfectly. But if your storytelling doesn't hold up and if you can't get from A to B in a reasonable point, in a reasonable manner and in a fun and interesting manner, the whole thing's going to crumble. I mean, you've seen plenty of big budget movies with lots of fancy effects and it just, there's something flat and flaccid about it that just isn't interesting or fun to watch. And the leftovers does accomplish this with probably a lot less money than a lot of other shows have. Or yeah. Movies. Yeah. You know, I was trying to think back to what effect shots might be on the show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when he tries to drown himself and the camera is shaking and then you see the water kind of open up and there's like this crack just for like a second. And then other than that, it's pretty much all just sets. When he's plunging himself into, he's plunging his arm into his brother's chest. Oh, yeah, there's that. Yeah, but that's like a, a prosthetic. I'm talking like VFX shots. I think there was there was some VS, VFX there. It looked weird. No, you had a body double on top, and then you just you've never seen like the fake body. You have a dummy, and then you cut a hole in the floor, put your shoulders up in it. Yeah, there that looked one. to be some digital stuff there. I mean, we. Okay, I'm matter. I'm it sure there was, matter. but my point is, there's really not a lot in this whole. Yeah, show. no, it's very sparingly used. Um, um, uh, talking about locations before we wrap up, I wanted to mention that I found out today in my. Uh, search that pretty much all of season two was shot in Austin mm-hmm. um, and some of you know I used to live in Fort Worth which is I mean it's not really close to Austin because Texas is huge um, but I had never been to Austin and I'm regretting that now so uh, it's something that Aubrey and I talk about every now and then go and check it out it's supposed to be a fun town but the Sheridan downtown, if you ever go to downtown Austin and go to the Sheridan, it might seem like you're in the afterlife because <laughs> that's where they shot it. Nice. And I have a new goal to go to that hotel before I die. I uh, I was just thinking it'd be a really good prank, an elaborate prank to play on someone if they're in a hotel lobby and you could get that song to play over the loudspeaker. <laughs> Or to drug your friend and make them wake up in a room mm-hmm. with the music playing, <laughs> like put him in the bathtub. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like this—the opening scene of season two, where like the woman, the cave woman's with her baby. That was in a national park near there. Oh, that yeah. bridge is a real bridge that goes into Jardin. Mm. Um, those were all real locations, and awesome. I thought that was. That's pretty cool. So, Keith, maybe one day we can go. Yeah, we'll have to. We got. And there's food. a lot. Of, there's a lot of good food in Austin too. So, I believe it. That's how I sell anything to you. I'm like Keith. The food's really good. <laughs> yeah, you, there's no quicker way to get me somewhere. Hey, how did I get you up to New Haven? The pizza. Oh, the best fucking pizza. Yeah. Have so. I talked about that on the show yet? No, you guys discussed pizza um, a couple episodes ago, but you didn't mention Peppy's. Uh, such a shame. That one day. Nice pizza. One day, one day. But All right, I think... You got any, uh, any other closing thoughts on The Leftovers? Um, I mean, the the you know, we talked about what the show started off 
being and what it was marketed as and what it ended up at, you know, and I think that's something really, really great um, that it can end up being something so personal as two people who don't really want to live without each other, trying to figure out how to live with each other, sitting across the table, having a conversation. Yeah. You know, I think that's great. Um, you know, I loved the performances on the show, especially Carrie Coon and Justin Thoreau. Mm-hmm. Um, I will always watch them in anything now because of this fucking show. Yeah. Um, I pointed out Max Richter's uh, score, which I think is fantastic, and almost all of it is on Spotify, so you can listen to it, and it's fun to hear the musical cues from certain episodes. So yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was a great show. If you if you've fucking if there's at least one person who got to the end of this podcast, then you know what we're talking about. Because if you've sat through us talking about this, it's because you love the show, yeah. and it's great to talk about it with other people that love the show. So um, I'm just happy it's out there, and I want people to discover it years from now and come up to us, friends that we've said, you know, hey, you should check out The Leftovers. I want five years from now someone to come up to me and be like, I finally watched it. And I'll be like, yeah, you did, and it was awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. So, the show's not going anywhere. It's always going to be there in digital form. I'm just, we were fortunate to get a resolution to get a finale. Yep. We're lucky, you know. Hannibal sort of got one. Yeah, I was, um, I was fine with that one. We can yeah. discuss it another time. Yeah, but it still gave it gave you a cliffhanger at the end. You know, the show was oh, like, yeah. no, left, we're done. Left it open. Yeah, but that that that's for another podcast. Absolutely. Well, Rich, my friend, I feel like I've kept you too long. Um, I really appreciate you doing this with me. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. We'll talk about E3 next week. Um, oh, yeah. I forgot about that. We're going to do our E3 yeah, episode. Pretty pumped. I need to see some Switch games. Hell, yeah. We'll, so, yeah, we'll so talk about... Look out for that. I'll, I'll drop that one day of as well. Sure. Be right before I'm flying out. And uh, I'll talk about my Switch, too. Yeah. Because I bought a Switch. Because I was brainwashed by you fools. <laughs> so next week will be all... Or I guess... It'll be tomorrow, since this is going up Monday. Tomorrow will be game centric. If you even made it to the end of this one, hmm. um, find well, us on the Twitters. Oh, yes. What's up? I was going to say thanks for having me on. That's Absolutely. Fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm so happy you watched this show. I am too. Most definitely. Find us on the Twitters. I'm at Double Jump Chomp and Rich. Your handle is at the Dove Shack. At the Dove Shack, and you can find the show at the usual places. Uh, Rate and subscribe and review at iTunes. Leave a nice little comment or a shitty one if you think the show is shitty. But remember, be constructive. Uh, And then I will see you next time.